Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope that these messages encourage and inspire you in your personal journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Let's look at, uh, we're going to read the scripture first, the ones that we'll be coming from and going back to through this whole time. Revelation 1, 4 through 6. We'll get that up there. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to God and to his God and Father. I'm gonna read that part again. And he has made us look around. We are kings and priests unto his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. First Peter two, four, five, and verse nine. Coming to him, we come to him as to a living stone. It was rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. You are a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen generation, (laughs) a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. Do y'all feel like that? I'm going to read that again. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm, before I get in, delve into the Word, I'm going to be referencing a, a book by Pastor Jake ha- Jack Hayford. Most of you probably know him. If you don't, you've missed out. He's an awesome man of God, uh, quite a leader in our fellowship of churches that we have grown up in, under. In, um, and, uh, he's, and really, he's just embraced the whole church at large. He's, he's just awesome. And he wrote a book. And it was, it's called Worship His Majesty. It's years ago. I had it. I read. I don't know if I ever got it finished, but I went back as I was um, preparing for today with the scriptures I felt like the Lord wanted me to focus on, and I was just blown away again. I'd forgotten how powerful that book is. I'm just going to give you a brief setting of when he went, how he wrote the book. Just really quick, not very long at all. He and his wife, Anna, were in uh, England. He was going to be speaking in Oxford, and um, so they took a, a extra time. They took two weeks, and they were just going through England and all of that, and he's, he's very knowledgeable, and he knew the history and everything, and at that time that they were there, this is years ago, it was the 25th coronation celebration, uh, 25th celebration of the coronation of Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, and so every, he, he, he remarks in his book, just in the opening part, everybody was so excited, and it was like they had... They were part of this celebration. Like they connected, they identified with the royalty of that family. Then they went on to the place where church 
uh, Winston Churchill had lived during World War II. And he's recounting all the historical things that uh, had happened, you know, when he was in leadership and now, and now God had used him. But anyway, he was saying that uh, he had the thought that it would be, it's really credible for the people who lived in that environment to have a sense of destiny. And then he started contemplating, and, and they're fixing to get back in their car and go, but he said it, uh, that it also, his thoughts also extended to a fundamental issue of human nature, the grounds of self-worth and the purpose of human existence. And then he said, and I'm going to quote this. He says it so beautifully. I don't know why when I was reading that book, I could hear him saying those words. He, was, he just is such a powerful man. It sounded like his voice. This is, it, this is the essence of the relationship Jesus wants to have with his church. He wants the fullness of his power. Now, when, yeah, here we are. He's comparing it to what he was seeing in this nation of people who were identifying with the royalty that they were celebrating. This is what God wants his church to have. He wants the fullness of his power, the richness of his nature, the authority of his office, and the wealth of his resources to enable our identity and determine our destiny. To understand, this is still a quote, to understand the fullness of Jesus, to perceive his high destiny for each of us, and to see that our self-realization, our self-realization only comes through a real realization of him. How completely and unselfishly he invites us to partner with him in his kingdom how much of his kingdom authority he wants to transmit to and through us as a flow of his life, love, and healing to a hurting world. And then the Lord gave him that song, Majesty, worship his majesty. <laughs> Unto Jesus be our glory, power, and praise. And the next phrase says, Majesty, kingdom authority flows from his throne unto his own. His anthem raised. It's really a powerful song. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. <laughs> it's such an honor to be yours, to have your life live inside of us. I pray, Father, as we go through your word today, I know that it won't return void because you said the words that you speak, they don't return void, but they accomplish what you please. And with that understanding, I know that you want to accomplish in us that we realize who we are. Who we are in you. As our relationship is with you. And we worship you and we submit ourselves under your authority. You can flow through our lives and touch this world. Help us to see who we are. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. As I've studied and prepared for the message, I realized that a lot of what I was going to say today, I've, I've, known, I've known some truths. And, but in, in the study, it just kind of clicked. It brought it into focus. And so I've, I'm really excited to share that with you. But there were some things that I have known, and I just wanted to recount some of that. When Israel became a nation and it came time for battle, Joshua, who he wanted out in the front lines, were the priests and the worshipers. They went out first, 
and obedience and worship was first before they went out to battle. I've known that the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's presence, was often taken to battle with them because they knew they needed God among them. As a shepherd boy caring for his dad's sheep, David met God in the fields and he learned to worship Him. You know, the, the Scripture's not real explicit on exactly how that happened, but we know that it did because of the effects in David's life and what he, how he you know, lived through God and wrote some of the Bible, the Psalms. But as a shepherd boy caring for his dad's sheep, he met God in the fields, worshipped Him, and consequently through his relationship and knowledge of God, um, he was able to do amazing things defeating the lion and the bear, rescuing the little lambs and bringing back to the fold. He was caring for, he was the youngest of all the sons of that family of Jesse's sons, and he was caring for the sheep, and he did it well. And then later we see him as a, still a teenager, still a young man, rescuing the nation of Israel as he goes and he faces Goliath and uh, he goes in the power of the Lord. <clears throat> I see, and then as David is a, uh, becomes the king, we see that at the same time that he is establishing worship was huge to David. He's very, very much a worshiper. And, and as he was establishing the tabernacle and getting that set up and, and the priestly things and all of that, at the same time, they were expanding the kingdom of the nation of Israel. That only happened as worship was first. And they were realizing the promise of God's land that was to come to them. I've also known and experienced Psalm 22.3 where it says, and we sang about it today, that God is enthroned in our praises. He, his kingdom is established. He dwells in our praises. When we worship Him, when we worship Him in spirit and in truth, He literally, literally is in our midst and His kingdom rule is among us. That's powerful. Hallelujah. I've encountered the Lord in powerful ways, um, and I'm sure you have too, as you've worshipped Him. And I remember I shared it at our uh, leadership retreat recently that uh, one time I had been with Tracy and we were talking about worship and and I was showing her some new music, and I dropped her back at work, and I'm driving, and I'm just worshiping, worshiping in the car. And, and uh, the presence of God was so strong and so thick in, the, in that car. that And then I felt the Lord impressed to me that what was in me was not from me. There was a deposit as we were before, uh, we had been before God, and, but, and he's depositing that. And so what was in me was not from me. I've also known that as you understand the word, and I want, to, I want to encourage us all right now, we have to know this. We need to know, when we read this, even the parts you just feel like, why do I need to know that? How does that apply to my life? If you take the whole counsel of God, you, under, you begin to understand him and understand how he moves and he, he works. This brings life to us. It is our life. But I've, I've, I've known that as we understand his word and we exalt him, our worship becomes intercession. It becomes spiritual warfare. We worship with understanding. It's powerful. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, and as a worship team or as a congregation, we worship and lead out of relationship with Him, with understanding, led by the Holy Spirit, His kingdom will be established in our praises. 
Let's praise God. Let's read those scriptures again in in, uh, just parts of them in Revelation there. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Number nine, but you are a chosen generation. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. I just want to throw this in right now because I'm going to go back to it in a minute. I don't know if y'all ever saw, surely you have, The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <clears throat> that, that, those were books, and they were written by J.R.R. Tolkien. He was a Christian man. There are biblical truths and spiritual warfare truths in that storyline. There really are. It's fiction, but it, there, it's there. Hollywood even couldn't hide it when they put it on the screen. It's still there. The first one, uh, Fellowship of the Rings, Two Two Towers is the second one. But the last one, and when they came out, I can't remember the years, but they they opened up in December of every year, one, two. And then when the third one came out, The Return of the King. Steve and I went to see that, and um, when we left, or I don't know, we might have been still sitting in the theater, but the Lord was talking to me. I'm, it, I, anyway, it's powerful. He was talking to me, and I looked at Steve, and I said, we don't know who we are. We don't know who we are, and I'll get back to that later. Now we're going to go to, uh, to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. What I'm going to do today is try to, to lay out of what we had, who we were, Initially, God wanted us to be, had planned for us, the goodness he had planned for us, what we lost and how we lost it. Then as God unfolds his plan to bring us back into that place of relationship and dominion, and then after Jesus came, what that looked like too, what we would consider the new uh, priesthood. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 20, well, God had already created the heavens and the earth, the Trinity was there. Um, God created the heavens and the earth. It, this is not what I'm saying right now, but leave that up, please. And uh, the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep, and the Word, which we find out in John, in the book of John, that the Word is Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and He was there present. With Nothing was created without Him. He was there. And then in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us, which is... Him, the Word, and uh, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I want to look at Psalms 8, 6. It says, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. If it's not up, just, I'll just read that again. It is up. Thank you, Crystal. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Psalm 115, 16. The heavens, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. 
And I want to turn to, uh, I want to show an example of how God wanted that to, to work in um, First uh, Chronicles. I'm going to turn there. I had that marked, but I've lost my little thing. <clears throat> First Chronicles chapter 29. What had happened is, this is when David is king. And um, he, was a, he was a man of war, but he was a man of worship, a great leader. And he wanted to build God a temple. And God said, no, but your son Solomon would. And so David gathered all of the, everything he needed to build the temple, everything that they would need for the tabernacle, everything. He brought it all together. So they're all together before the people, and they're offering all of this, all the stuff they needed to build the temple, and they're offering it to God. And David praises the Lord, and he says, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this, all of this to you? For all things, it's all yours. For all things come from you and of your own, we're giving it to you. Or that could read, everything that exists is from you and we administrate it from your hand. That's what God had intended for, for it to be like. Shortly after that, shortly after that, um, that God created man, we're going to go back to that portion in Genesis there. Um, I don't know how long that relationship lasted. Can you imagine? Everything's created, every, all the tree, everything, and the animals and everything, and then God creates man forms him from the dust of the earth, and then stands him up and blows his breath into his nostrils. And he awakens to what? To see the creator. He awakens as God breathes into his nostrils and, and sees the creator. I don't know how long that good relationship lasted where there, that relationship where there's no, nothing between. It's just perfect communion with the creator of the universe. We don't know how long that lasted, but we do know what happened when they sinned. When Adam and Eve, when there, what God said, well, first of all, God said, look at all this that I've made for you to eat. All of this stuff, and he, he recounts all through that, there's just this one thing, don't eat of this tree, just this one tree. When Adam and Eve uh, felt and they uh, took of that and they partook of that, um, let me just say one thing before I say that. Their obedience in following what God had shown them was the ultimate response of worship. And obedience, total submission. But when they sinned, then that relationship that they had was severed. No more were they close. They couldn't. In fact, they felt fear and shame all at once for the first time in their life. They did not know what that was, how what it existed like. <clears throat> I 
So when God came and he down to meet with them, he used to come down in the cool of the evening, and, and I don't know how often they did that, probably often. He called to them. Of course, they were in hiding. You know the scripture. But after he realized what had happened, and he had already talked to Adam and Eve, he addressed the serpent, who was the one that, that um, deceived them. And God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle or beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And God had a plan. It was already in motion. And he said another thing to him. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. And you are, you are going to, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between you, your seed and her seed. And in the Bible, her seed is with a capital S. That's Jesus. He, Jesus, will bruise and crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. That's the conflict between good and evil, with God ultimately winning through Jesus Christ. That's where it started. If at this point we jump centuries ahead into the future, the same issue of obedience, of relationship and dominion, still lives in, in, the, in the desert as it did in the Garden of Eden because her seed, Jesus, had uh, he'd been baptized and then the Holy Spirit says drove him into the wilderness to be he fasted 40 days and to be tempted by the devil. So her seed is there and the snake, they came, he came to him. And that was, the, I guess, the first encounter that they had. Um, and what, what the, the issue is, was still relationship and rulership, worship was the summons, and rule, uh, world rule was at stake. Let's look at the scripture in Matthew 4, 8 through 10. It says, Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he, the devil, said to him, All these things, think about this, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, this was the third temptation, by the way, when the first two he responded, it is written as well. He, and Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. It was the same issue, relationship, worship, and dominion and rulership. Pastor Hayford says that worship will only make sense when we understand its place in God's complete plan. He did not give worship as a test of our will, but as a source of our potential. He did not create man as just a plaything or just for fellowship, but to, come, to become a partner in his highest purpose. Just as defiled worship broke man's relationship and forfeited his dominion, restored worship is intended to redeem them both. Relationship and rulership. So what am I ruling? What am I going to rule right now? If, this, if, this, if the word says that you are a chosen generation, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and we, we're, we're made kings and priests to rule with God our Father. Let's look at what am I ruling? What is the dominion? What was lost when Satan, and, uh, when Satan deceived Adam and Eve? They lost their perfect communion and relationship that they had with the Lord. They started having family problems. There was with a spouse and family. There were family issues. Now there are environmental issues. 
because now you've got weeds weeds in your garden, you've got weather to deal with. Do you know there's a scripture in the New Testament? I didn't look it up to see exactly where it is. But in, in talking about wanting Jesus to come back and redeem everything, even creation groans and is waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. The world was affected by sin. The world was affected by sin. So when, when we rule in that, um, it's not like, uh, what was that? As, the, there was a little cartoon person, Pinky the Brain or something like that. He always wanted to rule the world. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is God, because that's not going to end until the last trumpet sounds and Jesus comes back. He'll put an end to the rule of, of Satan in, in, um, in the world. Um, I think I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want to go. I, no, I'll wait. I'll wait. I just want to jump ahead and get to the end of it. <laughs> All right. Okay, but when we do worship him and the, rule, the kingdom rule is in our life, our daily lives, and, and God can and, uh, bring victory in his kingdom there in our lives. Is it going to be easy? Is life easy? No, it's not. In fact, Jesus said that in this life you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Now, word tribulation is what it means is I looked, I looked it up a long time ago, but it's like you have something free and flowing and you put it between a vice and it's pushed and it's crushed. We have an enemy of our soul. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and that life more abundantly. We don't have to have everything stolen from us. We'll take it back when we pass our Jesus. We'll strengthen ourselves in the Lord before him in worship and hear from him and then we take it back. We take it back. Hallelujah. <clears throat> now I'm, uh, what I'm going to do right now is jump to, um, to the second point actually was the unfolding, beginning to unfold the plan of God to bring us back, re reconciling us, the world, is what his intended uh, purpose was really to show the world who he was but uh, it, and it, we're going to go to Exodus. And really, I always thought as I ta I've taught that with my kids on, on Wednesday nights and stuff that uh, I love building a foundation for them, helping them understand. Because so far along in my life, I just had stories here and there. And finally, one, one time when I read through the Old Testament and all of these things were clicking, I was traveling with the science choir and I closed the Bible and I said, I get it. got to know the word so you'll get it so you'll understand the purposes of God so um, anyway God time went on time went on and people were born and died and all that just lots of years and then there's there's not a kingdom a, a nation that God is having free flow talking with so he goes and he calls out Abraham and pulls him out and in the, and I just want to say this just so, just for a clear, clear understanding, that uh, when God called him out away from, he said, come out away from your family. They were a pagan family. And so he said, you just, you, I guess uh, Abraham was already open to God and listening. But he called him out and he said, you come and I'll show you. I didn't tell him where, but I'll lead you to a land. And on that way, and he obeyed and he went. And in the 12th chapter of Genesis, and I'll just say this really quick, 
but in the 12th chapter of Genesis, when he made the covenant with Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have so many descendants, you can't even, I don't know if if it's in there somewhere, but, you know, you can't even count them. There's going to be so many. And And then on down, and then he said, and in you, or seed, your descendants, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And if we go to Galatians chapter 3, the last verse, I, don't, I can't remember the number of it, but it says that uh, if you, talk, Paul was talking to um, Gentiles, the Galatians, who were not of the Jewish race, but they were Gentiles, but they were receiving Christ. And he said, if you have received Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise. So that's all of us. So this promise that he, he gave to Abraham, he's, he's bringing him out, he's wanting to build a nation, birth a nation, so that someone, a nation that would know him, and he eventually would send Jesus through this nation, which is what happened. Abraham and Sarah, uh, Isaac and Rebecca, they had Isaac, and then, and then they had Jacob and Esau, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, had 12 sons the 12 tribes of Israel. That's where we get the nation of Israel. They end up in Egypt. You can't tell all their stories. But they end up in Egypt. At first it was good, but then later it was bad. And they were uh, slaves. They became slaves. Very harsh life that they had. And so Moses was a Hebrew son that was spared because they were getting so big, they were bigger than the Egyptians Why they made them slaves. And they were killing the sons. They were killing all the sons. So Moses, God, God spared Moses, and he ended up, being raised by the Pharaoh's daughter in Pharaoh's house. And then some events happened, and he left. He had to flee, and he went, and he started a new life, and, and he was taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. And so he's on this mountain, and he sees this burning bush. <laughs> and he goes over to check it out. What is this, a bush that's burning and, and doesn't burn away? So God is there calling him and talking to him. And God says, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. I want you to bring my people out. And um, so he's got a few words to kind of backpedal. He wasn't too sure he wanted to do that with all that had happened. But God said, I'm going to be with you. (laughs) And this is why God says to him in in Exodus 3.12, I will certainly, and listen to what God said, how he phrased it, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you, that I have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve worship. That, that word can be uh, translated worship. You shall serve worship um, God on this mountain. So eventually Moses goes. And he re- he's reunited with Aaron, his brother. And they go and, and they go to Pharaoh. And this happens lots of times. You've, you've probably seen the movie. They don't get it all right, but, uh, in the, but it's, it's pretty good. And really the thing there that we notice is the deliverance. This Red, Red Sea splits, literally splits, you know, and then they cross over on dry land and their enemies are drowned behind them and all these wonderful things are happening. But deliverance wasn't the main point. God says, you bring them out to worship me and serve me on this mountain. So finally, uh, it long, took a long time, a lot of uh, plagues that were happening, and, but they finally are coming out. And um, worship was the heart of the message to Moses. That was his call to bring them out so that they could worship. 
worship really was the identity of the people. We're going to read um, Exodus 19, excuse me, 19, 4 and 6. <clears throat> God says, this is after they've, all come, they've already come out. It's been three months, and they're at the, the, the base of the mountain of Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up on the mountain, and he's talking to God. And God says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be, listen to these words, if they don't sound familiar, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the children of Israel. It was in God's heart for mankind to be in relationship with him. And that was severed. That was broke. And so the plan is unfolding. The plan is unfolding. And now there's this big nation of, of the Israelites is at the base of this mountain. And, and God's telling Moses, you will be a special treasure to me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And, and tell the children of Israel that. So he goes back down and he tells them that. And, go, and, so, and they said, good, whatever he says, we'll do. He goes back up and he says, well, in three days I'm going to come down, consecrate them, wash their clothes, get ready. So when, they came, when, God, when that day happened and they all gathered at the base of the mountain and God came down, it was kind of a frightful thing. He, he came down in a cloud. There was like smoke and everything. The mountain was trembling and... And uh, there, it came down like fire. There was fire there, and just the majesty and the hugeness of the Creator coming down in a manifested form, so to speak, not a body like ours, but His presence, weighty there. And um, and they had the trumpet blowing. It was really loud, and and God spoke. And if I understood it's the first time I read it like that, I think that the the Ten Commandments were spoken at that time because later Moses goes back up and gets them written on the, the tablets, the two tablets. But that, they were so frightened that they took, the nation of Israel took a step back. And so then they told Moses, mm-mm, we don't want that. That's too frightening. You talk to God, and then and you come back and tell us what he said, whatever he says, we'll do. So they said, no, thank you. They didn't, they didn't want to be that what they didn't understand, even though Moses had, I'm sure he had shared with him what God had said, that didn't happen. So that was a destiny unfulfilled. <clears throat> a destiny unfulfilled. Now we're going to jump and go into years, years later. You know, we talked about when um, the devil came to Jesus. I, we mentioned it shortly there of, of how uh, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms, everything that you see, all their glory, and, and what Jesus said to him. But you know what Jesus didn't do? He did not challenge the facts that Satan was saying to him. Are you kidding me? You don't own these kingdoms. No, he didn't. Because the fact was is that he is the ruler. He is still the ruler over the earth in the spirit realm. Ephesians 2 talks about that and says that, uh, talking to the Ephesians, once you, 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 you 
you were gone, you were destitute. Now you're made alive. But before you, the prince of the power of the air, you were uh, under his sway. I can't remember exactly how to quote it, but you were under his power because he's the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, um, Paul wrote to there, speaking to them, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and, and wickedness in, in dark places. The, and, um, and just talking about that, but that's who our, we our battle with. It's, it's in the spirit realm. That, that's what is coming out at us. So Jesus didn't question what he said. But he, what he did do after that, his ministry began, and he began to uh, talk to the disciples and tell them about the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is going to dwell in you, and, and, um, and told them pictures of what it looked like. And he was the perfect model of how to uh, live with the kingdom power in your life. And he sent them out in, in John, um, not John, but Matthew I believe it's Matthew 10. He sent the disciples out, and, and they were, he gave them power when he sent them out and, um, and told them to heal, uh, heal the sick and raise the dead and all of that and cast out demons. And um, uh, I thought about a scripture in, that Tracy had spoken about recently that she mentioned to us out of uh, when she led worship that time. It's John chapter 14, verse 30. Um, it says... He's preparing the disciples for his departure. He's been teaching them all about the kingdom of God and giving them power and showing them how to minister and all of that. But in, in chapter 14, he'd been talking, talking, he's fixing to leave, and it's like too much. They can't take it in. And he said, I'm not going to say too much more right now. The ruler of this world is coming. It was almost time for the crucifixion. So it, we were building up to that time. And so Satan working through the people on the earth. That's how he comes against us is through people. And, and, and he said, the ruler of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. There is nothing that Jesus, he, he never sinned. He, and so he was, it was, uh, there was nothing that the, the devil could use against him. It was just, <laughs> he had won. He, he had won. And when I thought, when I thought about that when the Lord brought that scripture to my mind is, that's the same for us. We just don't know it. We don't live in that because we remember the sin that we've done. We remember the people that we've hurt or the, whatever we've done. We, it's there. We still have a memory of that. But when Jesus forgives us and we go to him and, and this relationship is made right, we're worshiping him, we're submitting ourselves under him, and his life is flowing through us and all of that, then we can say because we've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus, that means if, if he's in me, I've accepted him as my Savior, the blood sacrifice that he shed on the cross covers my life. That's what God sees when he looks at me. And when he looks at you, if you are a Christian, does he see ever, all the bad, icky stuff about you? No. If you've accepted Jesus, he sees the blood of his Son and says, that's my daughter and that's my son, and they are clean. And they can operate in this fullness that I want to give them as kings and priests, offering their, their service unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. So we can say too, to the devil, if he comes and, you know, you, you remember stuff, and so he'll just remind you 
of stuff. He likes to do that. He'll remind you of stuff. You can say, get away Satan. You have nothing in me. The blood of Christ covers my life. (laughs) Hallelujah. Okay. Worship has um, always been at the center of God's heart and call for his people. It's because when we worship and we submit ourselves, like the centurion noticed in Jesus, the centurion soldiers uh, that wanted Jesus to come and heal his servant. And, um, and, and, and so he was, he was there, and actually he just wanted to tell him about it because Jesus said, okay, I'll come and heal him. And he said, no, no, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. This is a centurion soldier. He said, I'm not worthy for that because I too am a man under authority. He noticed that how Jesus worked as a man under authority, God's authority. He said, I too am a man under authority, and I tell this one to go, and he goes, or I tell him to come, and he comes. You just speak the word. Just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. And that's what happened. So when we're in that place of of our lives, are aligned with God, and we worship him. It's not just songs that we sing. It's how we live our lives in, in the word and and uh, we make altars and at home or whatever, and but we we are living for God. Then he his uh, authority can flow through our lives as well. Amen. Can flow through our lives as well. <clears throat> um. I'm just going to give you an example. I wondered where. The, let me see what time it is. One time when, um, when our son was actually dying, and um, it had been a rough night, and we were all in the living room. I think Josh was on the couch, and Steve and I were in the floor. And when we got up the next day, I think it was a Saturday. I don't know why I can remember that, but I think it was a Saturday. Sister Reynolds, who was a very powerful lady in our church, had come by the house. She didn't disturb us or anything, but she left us a message. And she said, the Lord says, go through your house and anoint all the entrances to your house. And I want you to read Deuteronomy. Thank you, Josh. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Read that in every room. So that night, we uh, got Josh and Ashley to bed. And uh, Josh was probably... I don't know if he's, I don't remember, maybe almost nine, but probably he was nine already. He was nine already. And um, so anyway, we got them to bed. And so that night we we wanted to cover everything, so we started in the garage. (laughs) We anointed the garage door, prayed in the garage, and we came all the way through the house. And I, I can remember thinking or realizing after that was over, You know what we were doing? We were going through acknowledging God and worshiping regardless of what was going on. We were worshiping, reading the word and and praying. And so the next morning, um, Josh was, yes, he was nine. He he, He was unable to finish. He did finish the third grade, but not always. The last part, he couldn't go back to school. So uh, we were at the kitchen table, and, and Josh said, Mom, 
last night when you and Dad left my room, something came into my room. I said, really? And he said, yeah. It was like a cloud, and it was lighter than the darkness, and it filled my room. And I knew that was a manifestation of God's presence and his glory. The Bible, there are lots of accounts of the glory coming down and filling a dedicated tabernacle or whatever, but filling that place with his presence and with his power. Oh, man, that was awesome. And I remember feeling that night when we laid down. I, you just felt, you felt the presence and the peace of God. Well, we didn't win that battle. We lost our son. But um, we didn't lose. I remember our nephew said to us, it's hard enough losing Josh. He said, it would be really bad if we lost everything that we had from the God. I can't remember exactly how he phrased it. But you know what? In, in the very next, that Sunday after the funeral, Brother Westbrook was there, our supervisor, and he preached that message. The very next Sunday, Josh, uh, Josh, Steve was in the pulpit preaching on why I believe and why I still believe in healing. We just, we just had to continue. We had to process it, and I'm, I'm telling you, it wasn't easy. But we were processing it in front of the Lord, in his presence. And I remember that it, to read the word, it was hard for me because I saw everything that I know was true. And I, I don't know why, I don't believe God killed my son. No, you can't tell me that. If you'd have been there and watched it, you would not, you would have known that was not God. But I, t but it was, I, I believe God's word, but it, it hurt to read the promises and to have lost our son. But you know what I could do? I could, I don't know how, but I could worship. I could still sing. I could yeah. worship. And I remember one day, something just clicked in my heart, and healing started to happen. Healing started to happen. One day, I was at the church, and um, we were supposed to have a ladies' prayer meeting, and nobody came <laughs> but me. But usually they did. We had a powerful ladies' prayer group. It was when I wasn't working full-time. It was powerful, wonderful intercession, intercessors. But it was good. I think it was, I think the Lord wanted time with me there. And I was on my knees. I just went ahead and prayed in the, at the front of the church, and I was on my knees. And I, I know, I, I can't remember exactly what I was crying out to God about, just telling him all this stuff, you know, and this and that, and talking all about the stuff that I needed that we needed to do in the church and with all of that. And God spoke to me so clearly. And I never heard that concept before, but I've heard it since. So I know that was God. But he said, I have not called you to do. I have called you to be. I've called you to be. And I knew I was, I was um, seasoned enough in the Word. I knew that didn't mean, okay, now I can just go sit home and do nothing. God, because we are create, we are God's masterpiece, created unto good works to serve Him. I knew it didn't mean that, but I was like getting the cart in front of the horse. He created me to be, and I remembered at, uh, as I was preparing this. I remembered that scripture when Paul goes into um, Athens, and it's in Acts seventeen or something like that, 
And he goes in, and I think he's waiting for some of his uh, comrades to come and join him there. But he's looking around. It's a pagan town. And, um, and so they've got all of these idols uh, set up for worship the God of this and God of that and God of that. They had one that said, to the unknown God. And Paul was walking around, and then, then they come up, and, and he said, Brothers, I see that you are really religious. Now, I'm paraphrasing. See that you're very religious. You've got all of these gods that you're worshiping. But I want to tell you who this is, the unknown God. This is the God that created the heavens and the earth. This is the one who gives life to everything and everybody. He cannot be worshipped in a temple because we can't get him in a temple. <laughs> no, I mean, with things that man's hands have made. I think I'm getting a little bit backwards there. But he said... And from one blood, he has made, from one blood, he has made all the nations of the world. And in him, we live and move and have our being. We live and move and have our being. And Paul was talking about this, this relationship that I'm talking about today. What I'm hoping that God will deposit in us today is that we need to know him. We need to know him. How do I get to know him? You get this word and you just find your spot and it's your spot. You sit down and you say, Holy Spirit, help me understand. And you start reading and God just begins to minister and pour into your life. And then you just have to worship him and you have to praise him. And then you go in and you tell your husband. We ask each other on Saturday mornings, okay, after our devotions, we separate rooms. I'll say, okay, what did God say to you today? And we share it. It's the most awesome it's the most awesome thing. We've got to have this. And what I, I, I asked the Lord to do was to deposit inside of us an understanding that nudges, get this word inside of our hearts. Know who he is. Because we will not know who we are until we have a real realization, like Pastor Hayford said, of who he is. When I figure out who he is, he tells me who I am. He tells me who I am. There's a little book that uh, Steve bought and uh, bought for the kids when Josh and Ashley were little. And in fact, it's 1988 when we got it because he wrote in the front. It's called Tales of the Kingdom by David and Karen Maines. I don't even know if it's in published, uh, if they publish it anymore. But if you can find it, you need to get it. It's really amazing. J.R.R. Uh, uh, Tolkien and these writers, they had an understanding of the spirit realm of, of God. And anyway, in this book, there's this, uh, i got to tell you really really quick. It's, a, it's about a, a city, the enchanted city, and everything in it is upside down. And so then uh, this, this one little boy and, and his, his guard on his face and his mom's died, so now he and his brothers are orf orphans. And so if you're an orphan... You have to go to work for the enchanter. Anyway, he gets out of there, and he finally finds his way into Great Park. His mom always told him there really is a king. Anyway, he goes into Great Park, and when he gets into Great Park, he sees this. It looks kind of funny. This guy's funny. But um, he, he meets him, and he says, um, you, you, your name is Hero. He says, my, my name's not Hero because they called him Scarboy. He said, I think your name is more Hero than you know. And then, I'm not going to tell all the story, but they finally come to this big celebration, and you walk through the sacred flames, 
And, and when you cross over and get into the inner circle, that's where you meet the king. And it's a celebration time. And when you get in there, it's not like what you thought out here. All these scars in our life, all this stuff that's against me. When I get, here's the analogy. When I get it, when we get in the presence of God, we see who we really are. And that little book brings that out. When we get into that inner circle and we're worshiping, the king is there. Then we are, see who we are. God created us to be. Hallelujah. I have one last thing to say, going back to the Lord of the Rings. I don't if anybody saw The Return of the King. There's one scene in there. Aragorn is um, actually is the heir to a kingdom. He should be the king. Right now, there's no king on the throne. There's just a steward that's there. And the, the bad guys are wanting to do away with mankind and just take over the world. So another good guy is an elf, and he's a, a, a very high in rank elf, Elrond. Elrond. I, their names are so weird. I some, I've watched the movies a lot of time, but I sometimes get it wrong. But Elrond, <coughs> he comes to, <coughs> there's fixing to be this big battle. It is the end. It's the big battle. And he comes and he finds <coughs> where Aragorn is, who is really the rightful heir. And he goes up to him and he says, starts talking to him about the battle he's fixing to go in. And the line that I want you to know, because Aragorn had been very good in helping people, and he called himself, he was a ranger, and uh, fighting for people, fighting for the good and everything, but he just didn't want to take on the kingship. He felt like my ancestors failed, they did bad, and that same blood runs in me. And Elrond came to him and he said, he brought him back the sword that belonged to the king. It had been forged back together. And he said, put aside the ranger and become who you were born to be. And I, I felt the Lord say to me, for us, put aside the identity that you have taken on that isn't who you are. Get in the presence of God. Worship Him. Go through your house. Out loud. Worship over your, the rooms where your kids are. Worship over your household, your family. Call them out by name. Read the Word of God over it. You declare who God is over your home and over the circumstances in your life. Put aside the identity of who you have just settled for and become the person, the priest, the holy nation, God's special people. Become. Folks, we can. This is for us now. This is for us now. It's like Pastor G preached last week. David, in that devastating situation, he went before God and strengthened himself in the Lord. And if I know anything about what this says about David, he was worshiping. He was saying who God is, the creator of all things, who gives us all things. 
and he was strengthened inside because when we do that, God deposits something of himself inside of us and you will realize that what's in there is not from you. It's from him. It's because he puts his eternal life inside of us. God wants us to do that. He wants us to become. Why? He wants us to worship because it's the source of our potential. We're there inside in his presence, submitted under him, worshiping him, and he pours himself inside of us. And he wants to partner with us. Partner with us for his highest purpose. Is that not awesome? And I'm just a little girl from Bud Creek, Oklahoma. <laughs> Everybody stand. We hope this message was impactful to you. If you would like to hear more, please remember to subscribe. For more information, you can visit our pages on both Facebook and Instagram. God bless you and have a great rest of the week.